0: Good morning, good to see you all, all on Zoom. I guess some of us are reminded of the time during the pandemic that we all communicated that way, although it is good to have the option when we have uh, snow days or storms so we can keep going. So thank you for joining And so today we are going to uh, deal with something uh, very important, it's uh, chapter seven from the book uh, we've been using, Uh, the future is open, and this chapter deals with the creation of suffering which of course ties uh, very well with, uh, with the theme of our ango that we practiced for three months with karma and also I think it ties very well with uh, the beginning of a new year, starting fresh, uh, looking at at the origin of the issue or the issues that we create. And uh, most importantly, learning to take full responsibility for our practice, right? And for that, we have to develop deep understanding of how we get stuck, how we create suffering, And then how do we get unstuck? How do we stop creating suffering? So this chapter deals with the first and second noble truth. First one, life is dukkha, suffering, dissatisfactory, discontentment. And the second, the reason for dukkha is attachment. So suffering the first of the of the four noble truths comes from the from absent-mindedness it comes from stupidity or ignorance we are not fundamentally incapable of being mindful but we are unable to develop exertion or striving on the path Probably good to note here that uh, when he says we are unable to develop exertion or striving, it has more to do with the fact that we have to learn how to. It's not that we don't have the capacity, but if we don't do anything, if we don't do anything different, the same old continues, right? So exertion is very important. So this has to do more with the development of, or knowing how to develop exertion or striving on the path. Maybe we can say even being on a path to begin with, right? Being committed to a path, which by itself is also something to look at because often there is resistance to being on a path. Absent-mindedness, not being aware, brings a sense of lost and split. That kind of basic confusion naturally brings pain. Because of that sense of dissatisfaction of not finding your right place, you try to attack the world outside or to complain. Attack the world outside or to complain. But actually, the complaint should be on yourself which means the responsibility is always on us. Or we can say that the pointing of the finger should be directed, should be turned around and directed at the one who is pointing the finger. Because, because naturally, right? naturally, by default, without giving it a second thought, there is always someone or something to blame. That's the easy. The challenging is to avoid the temptation to do that and then to turn the attention inwardly and ask, what am I doing? How am I responding to this? Where is my responsibility here? So he says the complaint should be on yourself. The original problem began because you lost your awareness. You cannot lay that on someone else. We can. It doesn't work. The basic quality of suffering is that you cannot behave in the proper manner. Now, that also probably requires some uh, shedding light. The proper manner in this context, or practice context, proper means being in alignment with our intrinsic nature. Not proper, politically correct or socially mannered, right? It means not being in alignment with who we are. The first glimpse of suffering is the sense of clumsiness. You're unable to coordinate your body, speech, and mind. Unable to coordinate your body, speech, and mind. That sense of complete clumsiness can be referred to as ape instinct. From suffering, comes the notion of irritation or restlessness. Because you are not quite in accordance with your environment, the world begins to attack you. Right? A state of A constant state of conflict or resistance. You attack the world, the world attacks you. You may sit in a very comfortable chair that simply doesn't fit you. So you feel painfully cramped. You may step in some dog shit on the pavement and suddenly you have no idea whom to blame. The dog who shat, yourself, or the uncleanliness of the city. There is an ongoing bewilderment or grudge against the world. You're supposed to say something to somebody who attacks you, but you have created the inconvenience yourself. So you do not know what to do. Basically, any movement you make by not being aware creates suffering and pain. Again, any movement, any movement you make by not being aware creates suffering and pain. Losing track, losing context, losing reference point of openness brings pain. Losing a reference point Point of openness and that's not being in alignment and actually this is uh this last line is very important right because losing reference of point of openness right so not being in alignment with nothing it's another way to to say that creates pain as he says it brings pain so let let's let's ask a question here and open it up. How does it create pain for you, or do you even see that? Raise your hand, unmute, speak. Bewilderment from all screens. Okay. Hi,
1: it's Kojin. Kojin. Hi, everyone um excuse me so i i really i really find this book helpful um because there are i've gained some some big insights by reading the book um the first insight i gained as we discussed during the ongo is that karma is energy right so that was that that really changed the way that i thought about karma um from that perspective but in this chapter um he talks about this alignment, right? But it's, a, it's alignment with your true nature, which is a little bit different than the way that I always thought about it. Is I always thought about it it was alignment with the moment, alignment with the circumstances. But it, he, he's turning that around. He's saying that our intrinsic nature is the moment. Our intrinsic nature is the circumstance. So when we're aligned with ourselves, we're aligned with what's happening in our lives. And for me, that small little pivot um, was very a powerful insight um, into this problem of suffering because really the suffering is you're not aligned with yourself. And all you have to do is do what your life is telling you, right? But we, we seem to fight it a lot. For obvious reasons we all have our reasons why we fight the way our lives are going or what's happening to us um and i, I don't really have any more to say about it than that but i just thought that was a very powerful insight that the, the, the reason why we suffer is because we're not aligned with ourselves right not something on the outside and 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 that the way that he presents it just eliminates the duality immediately right if
0: we think about it that way. So that was just my insight that I'd like to share with everyone. Thank you. So so, so here's a question. Do we see the connection between what you just said and the immediate um, knee jerk reaction to blame and point a finger? That that That's really what's right. So there is the alignment, right? Or, or, or lack thereof, right? Or not being in alignment. And so do we see the connection between that state of being aligned or not aligned, and the, the immediate reactivity. The immediate reactivity, actually, it doesn't really matter how we react. It's immediate. It's raw. It's in our face. Oh, it's somebody, we are in somebody else's face, right? So, yeah, and, absolutely. And absolutely, that, because, yeah.
1: you know, we, we've talked about this in the past a lot. we talked about planning and goal setting and things like that, right? And there's really nothing wrong with that. I'm here, I want to get to there, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. That's... That's what I'm trying to achieve with to this day, this moment my life, whatever, you know, whatever time frame you kind of put on it. Um, right. But th- the problem is we, we say, I want to get from here to there. And this is the way I'm going to do it, right? And when the way that I want to do it and the way that it's happening to me aren't the same, that's where that reactivity comes from, right? It's like, yeah, but I wanted to be here by now, but I'm not. So it's a problem and then you immediately try to rearrange things so that you're back on that sort of plan that you had, that, 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 that way of getting there. And, you know, I I find that that's really where the, the reactivity and, and the stuckness comes from is when, you know, that plan that you have in your head and what's actually happening on the ground aren't the same. Right. And inst- instead of kind of, I know I want to go over there and I thought I wanted to do it this way, but now I have to go this way to get to where I want to go. And and changing that path or that direction or that energy um, is what creates that reactivity, I find.
0: So, so right. So we want to get from point A to point B. Right, we're in our car. We are, you know, minding our own business. We are happily listening to some music on the way, and everything is fine, and the road is open. And then somebody that we tend to call asshole cuts us off. Right, he has a he or she have a name. Right, and then okay, well, until that point, I was at peace. Right, so it kind of makes sense, logical to think. Well, you interrupted my peace. Right, I was in alignment. I was at ease. I was fine. I was. Ha- you know, happy, just driving along, right? And looking at the speedometer, I'm doing the right, you know, speed, right? To get there on time. Now, you cut me off, you slowed me down, now I have a problem, right? So then, of course, it's so, it's logical, what I'm saying is logical to point a finger at you because you showed up until that moment, you did not, you were not there to interrupt me, right? So that's that's the moment. In fact, those are the most important moments of practice, not when we are at ease. Everybody can do that. When we are super irritated by something or somebody, that's the moment of truth.
1: It's right, like what Suzuki. Right. And, and it's like does what Suzuki. Really yeah. If You had to step on the brake or not? Like, does it really matter?
0: Well, apparently no. yes. Yeah. Right. So that's the that's the question, right? The question is, why does it matter, right? The question is. What, what am I, okay, so if my alignment of my sense of peace or ease is dependent on so many components being just right, it's inevitable that it's going to fall apart, right? Yeah. It It's absolutely inevitable. That's what's going to happen, right? I need the road to be su- in such a way. I need my spouse to behave in such a way. I need my house to stop falling apart. I need, you know... The trash to be picked up on time. I need, I need, I need, I need. When all those things are met, yeah, I'm happy. I'm content. Right? That's all, that's all I want. Just look at my the, my demands and make sure that you, all, you remember them. I'm good, right? And who's not saying that? Everybody's got a list of demands. And, and what he's saying here, take a look at that. Because as long as you say that that's what's going to make you unhappy, you'll be a very miserable person for life. You're gonna have glimpses of some sanity, but you will not be sane most of the life, right? So, and that's the question. Are we able to see the connection or our own responsibility, right? So not being in alignment, yeah, I have a lot of reasons to complain. Being in alignment, I work with it. That's the difference. Taking responsibility for being in alignment, for being at ease, for examining the origin of suffering, right? In this case, yeah, I, I I can work with I got what it takes to work with that. I don't have to be happy about it, right? We're not saying be happy about somebody cutting you off and slowing you down and they're going to be late for work. Well, you're going to have to deal with that, right? Obviously. So you don't have to be happy about it, but you don't have to point a finger and create something out of it is the point. So, anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. so good morning.
2: Hi. Um, so I'm wondering, it seems to me that um, being in alignment um, uh, with myself on the weird rare occasions when this happens, it means, in terms of action and responding to situations, it means that um, the attention can rest. So um, you can be very reactive and feel like you have strong attention on what the problem is or what's wrong, but um, being in alignment, means there's not that compulsiveness of attention. And it's like the attention can rest on whatever is happening or in front of you. And um, with the attention being able to rest, it means it can also shift when necessary uh, because it's not agitated. So um, I was thinking about our two and three quarter year old grandson so I think I've said before he's this very physical person and he has a lot of natural physical capability but that also means he has a lot of interest in physical things so he can be in a crowded room at a party and have a plate of food and um and this is since he was two uh he can carry it like from the serving table over to where he's going to sit and, um, the way he does it is he looks at the plate. He walks slowly. It's like, um, he's interested and he has his full attention there. And I have never seen him spill a plate of food. Um, so that's what I have to say.
0: So how do you apply that way before you go?
2: Okay. Um, Well, I have that image. Um, so when I'm agitated, um, uh, I can say to myself, um, something like rest mm-hmm. or imagine imagine a time when I was able to rest the attention or mm-hmm. when Avery is resting his attention. Um, but I must say, uh, since there's a lot of mental reactivity and a lot of education often, it feels like a struggle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I can come back, mm-hmm. uh, to now, but, um, it can feel so brief. And then back again, right? To being out of alignment, and
0: then so um, that can feel like a struggle. Available, right? Available, uh, you know. Whenever it's available, it's available, right? So it is teaching you that it's available, right? And yeah. and you're making a connection. You you mentioned alertness, right? So you're making a connection between alertness and ease, right? When, when so, and this is good because uh, sometimes there is a lot of. Um, alertness can be associated with uptightness, right? And it's important to uh, flip that right on its face and actually recognize that alertness means being at ease. It actually brings ease, because mm-hmm. because there's no there's you're nowhere else. Being yes. somewhere else brings a lot of anxiety, because yes. there's there's a gap, right? Because because the the. the the attention and so the physical and the mental or psychological, emotional are not in alignment. They're somewhere else, two different places or five million places, right? Five million places chopped up, right? So so we have to see that connection between alertness, being alert and being at ease at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Rest resting, even if right.
2: Very right. active is exactly. a sense of Rest.
0: Right, because you're nurtured. Yes. Because you're fully supported. That's why. Yes. You're fully supported. When being fully supported, you stop demanding of the world to give you what you already have. Because you recognize it. That's the difference. You recognize it through practice, through your own attention. Then you can be in the world in a way that is much more beneficial. Right? Because you're not you're less demanding. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah. You're okay. I
3: wanted to say, um, you had mentioned confusion, and that that confusion about not finding your, I think you said right place, uh, and then you attack the world and blame it for your pain. Mm -hmm. Um, I can definitely... Uh, I'm hearing my voice in the other room. Sorry, guys. Um, So... You you might want to
0: close the door. You may want to close the door.
3: I I, I can't right now. (laughs) But um, this confusion then really, really hits me when I think... Happens again, or if I hear about it again, or if I'm afraid of another loss, or if I'm afraid of another, you know, sense of um, abandonment, or or fear that that somebody's leaving, or something is leaving, or that I'm holding on too tightly to things, you know. So I feel like I do confuse myself a lot. So, so Yoko was talking about, um, you know, not. I forgot the exact words you used uh Segyoku, but um it was something about not being in alignment um with what is and it's really easy to not kind of adhere to that or to to be with that like your grandson is so um i was just thinking about that confusion i i end up confused a lot
0: right so right thank you so to create to realize the clarity that is available by, by being in alignment, by settling into, settling into. Settling into what is includes settling into who we are, right? It's not just settling into the, the way the moment shows up, right? We settle into who we are and then we, we can settle into the, the way the world shows up. But without, this is where it's very important to actually keep making the connection between practice and being out in the world. Because if we don't take the time to practice, to practice just by turning inwardly, then turning outwardly alone is going to be a challenge. And, and, and we will fall on our face again and again because we're not taking the time to practice. It's called practice for, for many reasons.
3: Right, but it's, it's, it's hard, again, um, to, to align the intrinsic and the extrinsic, you know what I mean? So if I'm confused about that loss that I was talking about, mm-hmm. you know, all that loss that I had when I was growing up and, and recently, um, it, it's really hard to find those two as one.
0: Right. And and so, so the the entry point the entry point is acceptance, right? But that's what makes it that because there is resistance to what is, what is, what was. There is resistance, right? The resistance is often the the, the cause of the suffering, right? And in and that's the point here, right? To actually expand, relax, find ease. And then allow that, uh, that ease, that newfound ease to start to propagate, to start to touch everything and everyone. Now, yes, it, it is a challenge, absolutely. It takes courage. It takes tenacity. It ta- there are a lot of things that we have to cultivate to be, to be able to cultivate a regular practice. And that's why we have to, that's what we're doing what we're doing. It's why we are talking about it, to shed light on that. So then when we each go back to our own practice and sit and, pra- and work with that stillness and work with whatever comes, we are supported. We know there is a challenge there. But we have yeah, to like ask. I sit and
3: I watch everything disappear.
0: We have to ask, is there a more worthwhile challenge in our lives? Is there a more urgent or important challenge in our lives? We have to ask. Not believe somebody who's saying it. We have to ask, you know, looking at the way we are, looking at what we've done so far in our lives, how much suffering uh, and harm we have caused, right? We have to ask, is there a more important endeavor in my life? Is there, any, is there something else I'd rather do than that? Or devote myself to than that? And that that's, I think, a question we have to keep renewing. Which means we, we cannot just... Um, rely on last year's understanding of that question or answering that question we have to keep asking the question today and tomorrow and next day so I'm going to read another uh, paragraph and, uh, and see if anybody else wants to comment on that it's related it's a continuation of what I just read <clears throat> understanding suffering is very important the practice of meditation is not designed to develop pleasure but to understand the truth of suffering and in order to understand the truth of suffering, one also has to understand the truth of awareness. When true awareness takes place, suffering does not exist. When true awareness takes place, suffering does not exist. This is where the inner re- reality is in accord with the outer reality. Right? The inner reality and the outer reality are not fighting one another. And... And if we are asking the outer reality to match the inner reality, we are going to experience a life of conflict. So, so turning inwardly and then, okay, I'm going, I'm going to find that. I'm going to discover that or get in touch with that, with the inner reality at, and find ease in that or find alignment in that. Then I am ready to align with the outer. It's already aligned, actually. Right? Because those two are realized as one. They're realized as one because, you know, we talk about intrinsic nature. Intrinsic nature is not my intrinsic nature and then other intrinsic nature. Intrinsic nature is Buddha nature, which everything everything shares. Right? So there's one intrinsic nature, which shows up in different ways. But it's one. So, in a reality, other reality in a cold, right? In a code with one another. Because, in terms of appearance, is different, right? So, yes, there is that accord. So, we can say this and that is in a, are in a cold with one another while understanding that we're not talking about two things, right? That's a challenge. That it's not, we're not, by saying it, that we don't follow the assumption of duality because there is what we call inner reality and outer reality, well, therefore, there are two. they are not. Through awareness, suffering is somewhat changed in its perspective. It is not necessarily that you do not suffer. Important point, right? It is not necessarily that, it is not necessarily that you do not suffer, but the haunting quality that fundamentally you are in trouble is removed. Right? The haunting quality that fundamentally you are in trouble. The idea basically here, what he's saying is the idea that something is wrong is removed. It's the wrongness of it. It should not be this way. That's what's removed. So, so oh, another way to say that is being in a, a state of choiceless awareness. right? Shin Jin Mei. And then he says it's like removing a splinter. It might hurt and you might still feel the pain. But the basic cause of that pain, the ego, has been removed. I think it's very powerful and very clear, right? It is like removing a splinter. It might hurt and you might still feel the pain, but the basic cause of that pain, the ego, has been removed. So, yeah, let's continue that. So let's continue the discussion for a few more minutes. Anyone else wants to uh chime in, yes, mukan good morning
4: yeah, um I just want to say that what sigyoku and Yogen were saying was really resonating with me um uh, your example of your grandchild um definitely an aspiration of mine <laughs> um, of trying is something I've been working with the past number of months is not immediately and instinctually equating that level of focus that he displayed and thinking that the only way there is through tenseness and discipline and reckoning with the fact that not everything is the question of effort and grit and determination. And I think that what you've described, all of them are necessary to get to where we're trying to get, but they're not the tool They're not the, you know, it's not all that it takes. Like it's not the answer Mm -hmm. and talking about the support. I think when we're so feel so detached and we don't feel it, all these things kind of come from a place of fear and that rigidity shows up when we're trying to keep things, okay, I have a plan to create a secure house. But all of it is coming from this really fragile and fear driven place that mm-hmm. at any moment this could all fall apart on me. And so you keep trying harder and harder, but all of that is coming from this fear and the response to outer forces that you're creating an antagonistic relationship with. It's not, there's nothing potentially. Nothing that you're engaging in that's directly hostile to you personally, mm-hmm. but you perceive it as hostile, mm-hmm. and so even the solutions wind up being engaged with in a hostile manner. Mm-hmm. uh I'm gonna fix this, I'm gonna solve this, I'm going to overcome this. you know all of these things we talk about it as 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 good, and sometimes I think they are, but again, if it's coming from this fragile hostile center, really scared, it's not as useful as it is, especially when you don't overcome it. (laughs) It, It's really amazing to me how that fear can kind of infiltrate everything. It's almost like you ever have a party and you throw a lot of glitter in the air and you're still cleaning up the glitter. Like years later, you keep finding it in nooks and crannies and the glitters just kind of, wow, this got everywhere. It's, and in my case, it was very interesting how I thought, you know, if I just studied harder or something like that, I would retain this information and instead the fear and the anxiety and the tenseness essentially turned my brain into like a slick surface that everything just kind of slid off of. (laughs) And then I, you know, this just becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy then (laughs) and everything falls apart. Um, or you make it out and at what cost, you know, was it, it doesn't, you have to be willing to reflect and, and go, but understand what kind of a center you're coming from. And I think what you're talking about with support and trying to realize that within yourself and actualize it and be in touch with it, I think we often talk about it, um, how often we can see it come and go within Sashin, for example. Mm-hmm. I think that it's the alignment recognizing that while it feels separate from us, it's just in another room and we close the door, but we can open the door and hear those sounds. Uh, right, right, right. But yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for uh talking about that.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh so right, so so you try hard and you're falling apart, right? And, and so, what he's saying here—the the haunting quality that fundamentally you are in trouble—is removed, right? It is the falling apartness of it is not in question, right? So, as 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 hard as we try, it will fall apart. But the wrongness of it is 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 removed, right? It's not the falling apart of it. That's that's just the way it is. But the the um the fixedness of this is wrong. Oh, I am in trouble. That fades away. And that's where the practice comes in. Or the question, right? To question, is it? Yes, it feels terrible. But is it wrong? Right? It doesn't feel good. But does that make it wrong? Is the question. We cannot automatically go from, it feels crappy, it must be wrong. Therefore, it's wrong. Because that, that's, that, that's the immediate uh, knee-jerk connection. we make right of course and what's going to make it right is if i'm going to complain and yell and fix it or eliminate something or somebody right and rearrange things so i can you know take a deep breath and be content for a minute that's what happens we rearrange things oh yeah now it's good a minute later it starts to fall apart again so that's what he's talking about the haunting quality Because it is haunting us constantly. So, yeah, another uh, quick remark. Yes, Teddy, Good morning.
5: Morning. Uh, This is. I've enjoyed this discussion because it's rearranged an example I've trotted out before. So, in the sake of brevity, um, just the uh, I've invoked a a mathematician who. spoke of he he said that he didn't solve problems looking at them as a as a walnut and having to take a hammer to the walnut but to put it in water and let the water dissolve it um slowly over time Mm -hmm. and the sort of um i I even wrote about it in Ango, so i can just repost that so i don't belabor the actual exactness of the story but what i'm the discussion is sort of shifting my perspective on it too because it sounds really easy to say well, I'm just not going to take a hammer to it. I'm going to put it in water, you know, but also that solution too requires uh, an extreme level of attention and care because either you, well, you can get anxious over the fact it's not dissolving fast enough, or you can forget about it entirely. And then suddenly you have not a walnut, but just uh walnut and shell, you know, in soupy water. Um, so, you know, there's this uh, sort of, you know, aspect of, of, application of attention and care but also the softness Mm -hmm. to dissolve you know and that is you know kind of a nice opportunity yeah but i'm recognizing that you know sort of from what Kojin said even earlier that's a nice opportunity to bring yourself in alignment Mm -hmm. because you're giving that space but you're also staying with it and giving it attention so
0: yeah you know, you remind me of uh, uh Yamada Kun's uh, answer on the question of uh what's the difference <clears throat> between uh rinzai and soto. Do you remember that uh, And he said, well, you know, in the in the rinzai school you shake the tree very hard so the fruit falls down when it's not ripe yet. Oh sorry, yes, yeah, yes, falls down when it's not ripe, yet. and then you put it in uh all kinds of pickling juices and ripen it, right? So you help it ripen. He said in the soto school. You, you, you leave it alone until it ripens and falls down and it's on a cold, right? So it's that process of, you know, I'm going to wait as long as it takes for it to ripen. I don't know when it's going to ripen, but I'm going to let it ripen on its own accord, basically, right? So it's that sense of sometimes shaking up is needed. So it's good. But, but the comparison here, right? So you put it in water. And you allow the water to soften. So you allow the rigidity of our being, right, to soften through practice over time. And it does that. It works phenomenally well, but it does take time. It does take time. So perseverance, right? It's a tenacity, very important to develop. So thank you.
6: Uh,
0: hang on who is that uh, kego wait no, that. somebody raised the hand was it keigo no this is thank thank
7: you okay thank okay. you first you also
0: want to talk i mean yeah fine
7: go Kego. i'll be brief thank you
8: um yeah i was just uh thinking about the solution to the walnut uh, or dissolution um, It just occurred to me that most worthwhile solutions to problems in my life are ones that unfold gradually over time and are, um, like, and I don't think that way a lot of the time usually I encounter something that I don't like, and I kind of immediately enter, um, I, I want to solve it, like, immediately. Like, I want to do one thing, and I just never have to worry about it again. Mm -hmm. I think that's how I approach a lot of things in life, and I think on some, there is a level, (laughs) on some level, I understand that that's not really how things work. Like, I think about, Like, even in, like, the instincts that have brought me to be practicing with you all now, I know for me, personally, I um, encountered, like, a lot of spiritual traditions before uh, landing here, or before being here, and the, um, one of the things that I remember bringing me towards Buddhism and Zen was that I liked how repetitive the practice was, that it was a practice, I guess, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't focused on something like, oh, if you do this, then you'll gain some kind of fundamental understanding to the secret workings of the world, and then your problems are solved. Um, So just plugging into that, um, Mm -hmm. into that, into that knowing. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Yes, sometimes uh, immediate action is possible, right? So you can rectify uh, and do something immediately and other times it's going to take time, right? So using discernment and then using the discernment to find alignment, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right? So you discern, can I, is it possible? If it is, that's the right thing to do. If it's not, the right thing to do is to settle and wait. So it's not, it's not black and white, in other words, right? It's not do this or do that. It has to do with what's happening.
8: Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
7: Hello. Um, yeah, I, I actually liked a lot of this uh, concept of the wrongness. And I think it's the starting point of suffering is that um, sometimes we perceive something is wrong. And that is like... And it could be something that's happening, or something inside us. Even, like when we look um, at like what we're doing, it's like okay, I should know better, or I should do this better, or uh, I suck at this, or or you know, like I'm not good enough, or you know. So it could be like an external thing, which are I think the easiest, and but it could be like internal also. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think the problem with the wrongness is, I mean, this is the starting point of for suffering. It's like the moment we any hint of wrongness appears in our head about something then we start dwelling in it and that is where the suffering comes because the, the wrongness can be like a fleeting sensation and it should be okay it's like oh yeah this is not i mean this is this is painful mm-hmm. and you know as as soon as we see that confusion or pain or whatever uh we tend to attach to to the wrongness and try to get out of there um, and that is where we dwell into the wrong of it, and getting out of there becomes kind of this crazy priority, which makes us kind of do all sorts of restless mm-hmm. things, um, where in reality, is it doesn't need to be, I mean, well, in reality it's not, it's like just something. And and like uh, Keiko was saying, sometimes you can fix it right away. I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, so I'm I'm uncomfortable in this chair. I can just move and that's it. Mm -hmm. But like, it could be something more complicated and it won't, there's no fixing it right right now, but there is this dwelling. And, you know, if we let go of dwelling into that place, things move naturally and Mm -hmm. it will kind of change as, you know, our perceptions of things will change if we allow it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was reminded kind of in the whole, you know, like more than half an hour we've been talking about dwelling nowhere Mm -hmm. and how important that is to remember that Mm -hmm. dwelling nowhere is about not dwelling into those sensations, whatever the sensation is. Like uh, we, if we are temporarily confused, we become that, Mm -hmm. you know, because we, we are attaching ourselves to confusion and say, Hey, we're confused and I don't know how to solve confusion. And I don't know how to get out of this confusion. And and we start trying to do stuff and and is that that the same you know, the trying that is kind of catching us into the place. I mean and this is a practice of not I mean it's a very interesting practice of not practicing, you know. Because the moment you are actually trying to kind of forget, you remember, and the moment you're trying to not be something, you know, like it is given this this place a space which allows us to
0: keep moving and uh, that's what i found at least yeah um and i'm not
6: attaching that that sensation
7: on so that's what i wanted to say
0: right thank you and so, so you talk about you know uh, maintaining a flexible mind right a flexible mind right and, and and a flexible mind is a mind of not knowing right a mind of not knowing wrong is a mind of knowing Right is also a mind of knowing, right? So to get beyond right and wrong means to be okay with not knowing, right? So for example, you know, we, here we are on Zoom because of the snow, right, uh, the winter storm, right? And uh, this is, we conclude that this is safer way for us to do what we're doing, right? Yes, some of us would like to go and, and meet in person, right? But it was not available for a reason. And then sometimes people say, well, you know, Zoom is not the same for me, I'd rather not, right? That's rigid mind. Yeah, it's not the same, but so what? Right? So if, if, I am, if I'm being demanding, well, no, I want that. I'm unaccepting of this and I'm accepting of that. Well, that does not exist. Whatever the, that is, it does not exist today. So what do you do? Right? It's the same when sometimes people have injuries and they have to sit on a chair. It's like, well, it's not the same. Yeah? What's the problem is the question. I want it to be the same is the problem. It doesn't feel the same. Okay, you're going to allow the feeling to determine your practice. Again, it's very subjective and it's very self-centered. It is another way, one of the many ways that we are actually taught in life, by life, how we create the problem if we're willing to learn. Life is teaching us, you are being rigid here. But I'm saying, no, I'm not being rigid, I'm being logical about this. Right? I'm being I have a great explanation why I don't want this, right? Because the ground, I'm more grounded, I'm closer to the ground, on chair, not the same. Like the practice is different anyway, right? You sit down on a chair or on the ground or on a plane, it's the same stuff that you encounter anyway. So what's the difference? Right? So we have to develop and sustain a flexible mind, which is again a challenge. Right? As, we, as we often say. So I'm going to read some more and, and then open it up. And if you wanted to uh, still note, make a note of what we talked about, you'll have another opportunity. The second noble truth, right, that was the first one, what he was talking about, right, uh, describing the, the, or suffering. The second noble truth is about the origin of suffering. How suffering and dissatisfaction arise. Suffering begins with, the, with very simple and ordinary flickers of thought, which derive from basic bewilderment. Before intention begins, there is a state of utter uncertainty in the sense of a generally dull and stupefied state of mind. The uncertainty or bewilderment occurs every fraction of a second in our state of being. It goes on all the time. We don't know whether we are coming or going, perceiving or not perceiving. Due to that uncertainty, we prefer to spin in circles rather than to look around and extend outward. Our actions are colored or flavored by a kind of fundamental ape instinct. Our only guidance is our own very fermented body odor, the familiarity, right? or mind order, right? The familiarity of of our being, of the physical being, or of our thoughts and emotions, memories. It is like the blind leading the blind. We are just sniffing around. In this stupefied state, you are willing to step into a corral or a den like an animal, not knowing that the consequences will be painful. In that way, you are drawn toward pain rather than toward pleasure. That tendency toward pain comes not from either pain or pleasure, but from wanting to bury your head in yourself and smell your own wickedness. You gotta love the way he uses words, right? Finding, uh, so this is basically looking for a false sense of security or finding false sense of security within the familiarity of our story. So our own wickedness, Right? What he's talking about is that we prefer to walk around in circles and smell ourselves or interact with ourselves than expand out to the world and see what's really going on. Because what's going on internally is familiar. I know that. So to expand from that to what's really going on is to step into the unknown. Right? And that's, that's, the, that's the barrier. Well, that's the gateless gate. It's not not available. It's available, but it takes courage. It takes that uh, outward expansion, as he's saying. You would rather stick with your family than go out and meet strangers. You prefer to relate with your own nest, which happens to be a bad choice, and the result is pain. So you start with ignorance, which is Very self-snug, like living in a cocoon. So I'm going to read another paragraph and then open it up. Due to ignorance, you prefer to let a gigantic growth develop in you rather than be operated on and feel better because the operation is too painful. The operation is too painful. And this is expanding from the small cocoon of me and my story and my memories and all my triggers and the karma to to step out of that and to take a chance. To step out of the the false sense of security and take a chance. I don't know who I am. Again and again, every morning. Who the hell I am? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not going to answer it. or I refuse to give an answer to this open-ended question. That's what it takes, right? And he says the operation is too painful. Practice is a challenge. It pushes our buttons. And I said that a few weeks back, right? That if, if your practice is not making you irritated, not the irritation we come in with, making you upset, then it's not working, right? That's why he said before, meditation is not for the purpose of finding some kind of Feel good or or, or developing a feel-good attitude or that sense of happiness. Depression is too painful and it is too big a deal to do anything about it. You even take pride in that approach, right? Because we justify it. However, although you are looking for pleasure, it turns out to be pain. Consequences are painful. For you, basic goodness for us, right? All of us. Basic goodness has not yet come up. Basic goodness is like getting up and taking a shower, which wakes you up. But you would rather not do that, even though you have a bathroom. You prefer to doze in your bed. It's less of of a hassle. And what he's talking about is, again, stepping out of the comfort zone. It's less of a hassle, and you don't have to sacrifice or give up anything. It's much easier to just swim around in your own dirt. You don't don't take a shower. You don't wash. You don't go to the barber and cut your hair. You just grow a long beard, a long hair, and kick around with your own little pleasures. This is as close as we get to the notion of samsara. He doesn't mince words, which I think is very, very important, right? We don't want to beat around the bush. We want to know, because time swiftly passes by and opportunities are lost and life ends up like this. We want to know, we want to be real, right? Not just beautify it in some way. We want to know what we're doing. Because this is exactly what we're doing. So every time I read that paragraph, it's, it's a smack in the face. Look at what you're doing. And then we have to ask, is that how I want to live my life? So, where are we at? bewildered again. (laughs) How about Uh, (laughs) Fushin?
9: Well, I'm just back from Puerto Rico and um, (laughs) you know, in this beautiful land with beautiful weather and sunshine, my husband developed a, um, a really bad cough. A productive, nasty cough. It wasn't really sick, didn't have a fever, but you know, just cough. And so the first night of the cough, I, I kept saying, okay, Margo, just make it okay that he has a cough. And every time he coughed, it was like a ricochet through my body. It was like, ah, this shouldn't be happening. <laughs> there we are, two days into a perfect vacation and he's not well. And and then I, okay. And then I go out and I I'd sat I'd sit on the deck and I say, okay, Margo, just, you know, meditate. I'm cool. Waves are great. Go back in, settle in. Okay. He coughs. No problem. Fred has a cough. A half hour later, he's up coughing. No problem. Fred has a cough. About the third time, what? I wasn't saying that, but internally I was like, this should not be. This is wrong. Every other time that anyone has been sick when they shouldn't have been sick, you know. I have it that they shouldn't have been sick of course because it really inconvenienced my pleasure anyway so it, um, it went on we had a great vacation but i i just i keep smiling as you're reading this because it's like this whole ego uh, preoccupied self how dare anything interrupt my vision of a perfect vacation mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway that's all i had to share
0: Thank you. Yes, right or wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. Nice suntan, by the way. (laughs) Okay, anyone else? How about uh, raisin? What about raisin? Yeah, Uh, where is raisin?
6: The... uh... What I've been thinking about is how um, adversarial our relationships are to coughs or to cars or to, um, and that how our culture and perhaps all cultures um, keep reinforcing that adversarial um, and that the adversarial includes to ourselves, uh, parts of ourselves that were um, in conflict with, and you know, this is New Year's resolution time, and so we pick parts of ourselves that we um, um, want to take a scissors to, or something. And um, so, this sense of um, adversary seems to um, maybe be a reminder of all the ways in which um, we divide ourselves off from the world around us and the um what we've been talking about our basic nature, whatever that is, and and uh, more that in in some circumstances, um, we're able to actually embrace those things rather than having to see them as an affront. Uh, when we were on vacation, my brother-in-law has a um, chronic cough, which is uh, very, Flemmy and uh, can last for two or three minutes, and um, it is a challenge to be sitting with him and um, you know be able to see that that is somehow okay, um, and um, right. And, and we found out that it actually is a rather shallow cough, and that it isn't so. It doesn't. I mean, it sounds like he's going to die any moment, but it's not. Um, and driving, we drove 3,000 miles or so during the um, vacations, and um, all the assholes, and assholes is certainly, there should be signs on the highway, you know, welcome assholes or something. Um, But um, it really is interesting how, you know, at some point you can accept that somebody at this point in their life, for whatever reasons, has to be doing what they're doing, and that you want to make sure, as Sayoko says, let them go, let them, get them out of your life, get them, uh, you know, don't engage. Um, So all the ways in which our culture, and now deeply within ourselves, has this adversarial relationship, um, I don't know it might just be helpful to think about that notion of adversary every once in a while and see that um you know this is just a way of relating which isn't at all you know all the ways that we empower that way of relating it's just a way of relating and that um you can try another way of relating um not easy uh, but once you come up with a name for something it sometimes helps to uh, be able to deal with it
0: mm-hmm. Right, right. you have to clarify that. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to read another short uh, part of the paragraph. It says, Within that stupidity, you begin to find something. And that something is passion or lust. You don't even know what you are lasting, lasting for, but you're willing to indulge yourself. Desire or lust is that which ignites. It is based on wanting to build yourself up. But you do not need desire. You do not need desire, right? So, in other words, we do not need to keep feeding the hungry ghost, right? We have to recognize first that it is a hungry ghost, that it is a bottomless pit, that it doesn't deliver what it is promised to deliver, right? That's empty, that's false. So we have to recognize first that what we do essentially does not work or all, all the notions that we have behind what we do are wrong, right? That's false, right? So we have to, and, and to recognize that, we have to do a good job, a good work of examining what we are doing, what we have done, what, what it had led to, right? And, and uh, here I am dealing with all the consequences of my past actions, right? Or past decisions, so, what am I learning from that, right? What have I been feeding all along? You, and then he says, you don't need that. You don't need it. You could take a walk with the desire of building yourself up, right? So, which means you take a walk with that. But you could also take a walk without trying to build yourself up, right? Which means you recognize that desire. You recognize that something in you wants something, you just don't give it to it, right? Instead of giving that to that something in you, you just take a walk. And he says, you could just take a walk very simply and straightforwardly. And this is, this is where practice comes in, right? This is what we're talking about. Practice is actually very, very, very simple. We are very, very, very complicated and layered. But what the practice is saying, just take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath, but really fully take a deep breath, right? Go outside, sit down. And It's cold, it's good. You know, the, the biting cold will wake you up, will make you right, present right there and then. Experience it, open, relax into that, right? So just take a walk, very simply and straightforwardly, or just wash the dishes in the same, with the same attitude. It really doesn't matter what it is. But it's the simplicity that we're looking for. Doing so would be very opening. There doesn't have to be a second meaning all the time. Right? What does it mean? Nothing. What do I mean? Nothing. What is my existence about? Nothing. Nothing. Could that be okay? I am nothing. That's all. I mean, it's, I think it's just very disarming, immediately disarming, and deflating all that buildup, decades of build-up could be deflated like this. It builds up again, but that's OK because again, we know the way to, to puncture a hole in that huge balloon of nothing. Because this is exactly what we are, a huge balloon of nothing. So he says doing so could be very opening. There doesn't have to be a second meaning and you don't have to philosophize everything. There could be pure motivation. And it is pure motivation, right? If you do something not for any other reason, it's not layered, it's not cumbersome, it's pure, it's clean, and that's all there is to it. There's no grand meaning to it. The meaning of my life could that be the meaning of my life? Just scratching my head. Not from bewilderment, but because there was an itch. Right? So could that be the grand meaning? And then the search is over. So, I think we will leave it at that in terms of reading but uh yeah where where are we at Where are you at with this anyone Segyoku yeah
2: oh, I'm unmuted already <laughs> um. seems to me that uh, for me and many others, um, I'm not sure that everybody has this to the same degree. Um, the greatest obstacle is this beautiful sentence that you read, um, the haunting quality that fundamentally you are in trouble.
0: What about that? I- What happened?
2: It's like, it's a giant koan. I can't imagine that um, that can shift. And um, there's a very um, strong attachment to it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm doing this with my hand because um, it's not me. Media- <laughs> Yeah, there's the cognitive part, but it's this holding on. And, um... So I'm just saying, I mean, if you have something... Right, well, you, it-
0: say, you say, I can't imagine that, but you have experienced that at different times, right? So you call it, you, whether you call it glimpses or momentary or whatever, but you have experienced openings, at right, different times. So, keep that also there, right? So, so there is that. There is, the, there is this um, impossible idea of, no, this is not possible for me. And then there is another voice that says, I know what that means by experience, but not by, not by intellect. I know what that means by experience. In other words, I've experienced that to some degree, right? So, there's that too. Right? Yes. So, yeah, as long as there is that too, then that can teach the other side or the other voice. Or that could become, over time, the, the louder voice. Right? The, the, the predominant voice in you. So, keep it open. Even if it's a crack in the door, it's still an opening, is it not?
2: Uh, yes.
0: It's an opening. It's an opening into the same vastness that we keep talking about. The vastness is not less. Right? It's the same grand vastness that, that we're always talking about that you may be seeing through a crack. But you are seeing the same grand vastness. Right?
8: Okay.
0: Yeah. you You, you, you have to keep encouraging yourself on, on the way. Right? So, yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Uh, we have a couple more minutes, so, you are you raising your hand or just pondering? Think Go ahead. I, yeah, I, um, so Yoko,
3: I know what you mean. You know, it's like this thing that always follows you and it, it's just you're in trouble, uh, oh, look look at everything we've done, and the harm it's caused, and it's right there in the back. It feels like when I was a little girl, when I used to get afraid, I used to um I used to put all my stuffed animals on the bed and make sure that I was really tight up against the wall because I felt like something was behind me, you know. And I kind of sort of have that kind of haunting, that's a beautiful phrase, right? Haunting experience. Um, I mean, I don't need my stuff anymore. I don't need the thing in the back, you know? But it feels, it's almost, it's a similar sensation where you're, you're you are being haunted by all the consequences of not just what you've done, but what we've done collectively.
1: Um, in the
0: world and to each other, and it just feels like it's always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. So, so we can actually a good we could use the analogy of you know this walking around with a bunch of stuffed animals, right? That we, we don't need the item anymore because we have we have created uh, a, a conceptualized version of it. That we walk around with and we we it, it is cushioning us right there is uh, hence the false sense of security right yeah okay uh anyone else or are we good for now yes Tadio, you go ahead
5: i guess maybe first um i still have a bunch of stuffed animals um uh-huh. and uh that aside but second of all um you know Sugioku was was bringing up that it's like a koan and it reminds me of a koan i read a, a while back from uh it was the fundamental koan of uh, a gentleman named hisamatsu who's a 20th century master which is what you do will not do what do you do and you know when i first read that it was like an absolute like you know mental bolt and you know just like you, you know and I, you know, it's one of those ones that sits in the back of my mind. And sometimes when, you know, things are really, really bad and complicated and you're trying to work things out, you know, that's like the, the koan that always comes back up. And then I, at least for me, and I'm not saying this is a perfect solution, but sometimes I feel like it's just enough to ask the question Mm to just essentially go like, you know, why is this haunting me? And, or, you know, what you do will not do. What do you do? You know? So, um, there is sort of a, you know, just asking the question feels enough
0: sometimes. Asking the question is essential, right? Because asking the question and not rushing to answer it maintains openness. So we have to not conclude, right? Putting the, the, the great, the grand question of who I am to rest actually results in a continuous open question. Right? It's not I found who I am. It's I don't need to know. So I can just keep the question open. And that, that's the, the, the great itch, right? The, I need to know, I need to know, right? The, that's what's haunting us. I need to know, I need stability, I need security. So maybe that's not true, right? Maybe that's the false. Okay. So thank you. We will continue. It is uh, fascinating and uh, I think very helpful for all of us. So we will continue along the lines of that. All right. Thank you.